I don't know how much of the Jubilee stuff you've been... I'm just, I'm just going to put my little timer on. That's what I'm doing. How much of the Jubilee stuff you've been paying attention to over the last few days? But um, there have been all these little anecdotes that people have been giving about the Queen. Um, you know, a time they met the Queen, a time the Queen did this, a, kind, a time the Queen did that. And uh, I just thought I'm going to have to start by showing you what, for me, was my favourite one that I heard. It's that you, some of you may have seen it. It's, it's a guy who was a security guard for the Queen... And he's been interviewed on Sky News. His name is Richard, or Dick for short. And uh, he talks about a time that the Queen and he met a couple of hikers. Can we play the video? And normally, on these picnic sites, you, you meet nobody. But there was two hikers coming towards us. And the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped, they hadn't recognised the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? <laughs> and she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. <laughs> and he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thinking. He said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. I and as quick as a flash, says, well, I haven't, but Dickie meets her regularly. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy said to me, well, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes round, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? <laughs> Anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on, and we waved goodbye, and then Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows us photographs to the friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am. God bless the Queen. I don't know if you caught that little bit. It cuts off at the end, but, you know, the Queen says, I hope I was a fly on the wall. When he shows the photos to somebody in America, and they tell him you know, who you're standing next to, you moron. Um, and uh, I love that. And also it got me thinking about how the fact that it is possible um, to be in the presence of royalty and not even be aware of it. Even someone who's probably one of the most famous, you know, monarchs of history, to be standing right next to them having a photo taken, you don't even know who they are. Um, we'd never be that stupid, would we? And yet, uh, actually, I've realised, oh, do you know what? So often I am the moron. Um, I, I forget, because I forget who I'm coming to meet when I come to meet Jesus. I forget that as well as the one who is our friend, he is the one who is the king of kings. Um, you know, he sits on the throne overseeing the whole world. This is who we get to talk to over breakfast. And unlike with the queen, when, when, you know, if you go to see her, you have to go to a palace and then you leave and you're leaving her presence. The king that we follow makes us this astonishing promise. And this is the day that it is the day of Pentecost uh, this Sunday. If you, if you weren't here at the start of the service, you would have missed that when Ali read a little from Acts chapter 2, the, the day that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the early church. And um, I love this story. And, and Jesus makes us this promise. The King of Kings, he promises us this. So this is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what he's promising there is, whilst we might visit the queen and then leave the queen, 
in the palace, what he's saying there is that we will never have to leave his presence because he, Jesus, sends the Holy Spirit, who is also known as the Spirit of Christ, and he comes to dwell inside of us. And so it doesn't matter if we get on an airplane and fly to Australia or if we just go down to Asda, wherever we go, because we are Jesus' people, we go with his presence inside of us. And Peter, after they're all filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they burst out of the room. He starts the first talk in the history of the church with the words, we're really not drunk, which I just think is an absolutely sensational opening line, and I thought about using it this morning. I'm not completely hammered as I stand here before you, just to see your reaction. So that's how he starts. But then towards the end, he says to the crowd that have gathered around the house, he says this. This is Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then just to make clear who this is for, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so as we, as we consider the fact that we're talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, particularly today, we can start from the place of you cannot be a follower of Jesus and not have the Spirit of God living inside you. So all of us who call him Lord, we do that because the Spirit is inside of us. To think that you can be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit is like thinking you can be alive and not be breathing. The only way that we came to know him is because he breathed the breath of his Spirit into us and we were born again. We all of us have the Holy Spirit. And, and I mean, we could just stop right there. That could be the end of the talk because you just think, let's just sit and think about that for a little while. That, that the spirit who hovered over the waters of creation, the chaos in that moment, that, that the glory of God that lived on top of Mount Sinai when the Israelites couldn't even go near it, the glory that fills the temple, the spirit who descends in bodily form as a dove and rests and remains upon the person of Jesus, anoints him for his ministry, the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, that spirit lives inside of us. He's on the inside of us. And um, what Jesus is saying to the, the, the disciples at this moment is he's saying to them, look, you, you cannot do this alone. You know, just before he ascends to heaven, he's, he's effectively saying, you're not ready. You can't go this alone. And so often the way that we've approached, I don't want to put this on you if it's not you, but I think it's a few of us. Certainly it's me. The way I've approached the faith, the Christian faith, is I've thought, okay, Jesus has died on a cross for me. He's raised to life again. I'm forgiven of my sins. And now it's over to me. He's done his bit. Now it's over to me. I've got to do my bit now. My bit is to try and live like him, to try and be like him. So I've got to try super hard to be like Jesus. And I have managed to somehow, I don't know how I did it, but turn the Christian life into like a goal to achieve or a chore to complete. It's like, it's all on you now. It's all depending on you and your strength. And that's never, that was never the plan. We can think that it's like we've got to become, you know, when we're baby Christians, we depend on God. But as we mature, we should need him less, right? Of course, he's going to have to help us at the start. But as we mature, we should need him less and less. And that is how it works with raising kids today. Uh, you know, we're currently going through another phase of potty training. I can't remember. I've got, we've been through more phases of potty training than I have kids. I'm sure of it. Um, and 
you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's stressful enough when you've got loads of little kids running around, but when you just throw poo and wee into the mix, that's just, you can find them anywhere at any point at any time, the stress levels go up. And I remember there was one time we were training one of them where it always seems to go wrong when Beth leaves the house. Um, she left the house, and I was doing something, and one of my boys came to me and just said, like, indicated that he needed a poo. And I said, I'll be with you in one minute. I just finished it literally one minute. Well, anyway, um, he came back less than a minute later, and he said, I've pooed. And my question was, where? And whilst I wanted to think it was the toilet, even the optimist in me refused to believe that. And sure enough, I, well, I went on a little hunt around the house. And do you know where he'd done it? He'd pooed at the top of the stairs, which are carpeted. And then on his bum, he slid all the way down the stairs. And you could see the trail. And I remember um, one of my other little ones came running in, and he wanted to eat it. And I was trying to like hold him off with one foot on the stairs while I was desperately scrubbing before Beth got home all the poo off the carpet. It was disgusting. Anyway, so we're back at this phase of like trying to like help them to do it themselves. We want to raise children who are independent so we can say, give us our lives back now. You know, we've done our jobs, off you go. And when, it, when, it, when we think of maturity, that's what we can think. We become increasingly independent. But in the Christian life, it's not that. To mature as believers, and that, that many of us have been following Jesus for a long time, so we can forget this. But maturity as a follower of Jesus is not becoming independent from God because we've got the hang of it now. It's becoming more dependent. It's relying on him more. It's recognizing our need quicker and sooner than so often we do. And it's learning again in our souls and spirits to rest in the fact that we have a God who carries us. We, we follow the Father of grace, the God of compassion, the God of comfort, the God who provides for all that we need. He, he, he leads us on. And maturity for us is just remembering that more, depending more on him, not less. And that was always meant to be the plan. And so it, it fascinates me that Jesus says at this moment, just before he ascends to, to heaven, to the disciples of all people, you're not ready. You can't do this. And you think, on the one hand, they're a bunch of muppets, the disciples, so you can get that. On the other hand, think about what the disciples have seen. They've been with him, front row seat, at all the miracles. You know, they even got to participate in a few, helping him feed the 5,000 by doling out the bread, or helping with Lazarus by rolling the stone away, taking the grave clothes off. They've been there listening to his teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. They even got private tuition from Jesus in a little side room where he explained to them what his teaching meant. They've seen him transfigured in his glory, some of them. They've seen him, you know, if nothing else, they've seen him resurrected. I mean, surely, if anything is going to qualify you to witness to the resurrected Jesus, it's physically having had a meal with him after he's been resurrected, right? That would be top of the list. So they've seen all of this, and what he says to them is, yeah, you, there is no way you can handle this. You are absolutely 100% not ready for this. You're not equipped for it. Despite the fact they've been with him for all that time and all those things, what he says to them is, you need the Holy Spirit. There's a gift coming, a power coming. So wait in Jerusalem. And after you've received the Holy Spirit, then you'll be ready. Um, but the whole point is you, you cannot do it alone. And you're never meant to. 
And I don't know if you find yourself slipping into this mindset sometimes, but I know I do where it's like, I think I have to do this by myself sometimes without his help. And so I, I look at my prayer life and I don't know whether to laugh or cry sometimes when I see it. And I'm like, oh my word, that's it. You know, after all these years, this is as good as you can get. It's like, you're, you know, so faithless sometimes, so self-absorbed other times. And, and I forget that I don't have to pray on my own. I have a prayer partner. He's called the Holy Spirit. And that I'm told that, you know, he partners with me in my weakness. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit helps us. Have you ever had it where you read the Bible and you just open it up and you think, I've got no idea what this means. You know, I'm reading it and it's in English, but it still doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. And this is the Word of God. And, and it's what Mike was saying last week. Is we, we want commentaries and we want the best you know, the theological minds that we can find to help us understand the word, but we also have the Spirit. And yes, he used Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and the others, but, but he, he wrote the Scripture. It's his word, the sword of the Spirit. And I can forget that I can ask him to help me understand it. I mean, I wish I'd... Like, can you imagine if you're doing your GCSE in English and it was a question about Shakespeare and you had Shakespeare sitting there and you could just say, what does this mean? And he could explain it to you and then you could write it down. Well, that, it's like that with the Spirit. We open this book and we can say, Holy Spirit, I don't understand. What does this mean? Help me understand. What we'll find is as we do that, that verses will just pop out of the page like jacks out of boxes and begin to hit you, know, hit you between the eyes because suddenly we're reading it with the one who wrote it who can explain it to us. I can think sometimes that I have to fight temptation on my own. That, that whether I can, I can resist the temptation ultimately comes down to Andy's willpower. And that does not, for me, fill me with confidence. I don't know if you, if you find this, but it's like, okay, New Year's resolution. I may have forgotten every single other New Year's resolution I've ever made, but this one's going to succeed. It doesn't, you know, we don't get very far often. It's not bad to resolve to, to, to resist temptation in ourselves, but it's not the only, it's not the solution ultimately. It's only a small part of it. He's the solution, that he would partner with us. I, I, I've got a friend, I remember he, he talks a bit about his story where in his early teens he became addicted to porn and he just couldn't, couldn't get away from it. And he became a Christian when he was 19 years old. And what he said is that was the moment the battle began for him where he had to fight you know, to, to, to kind of not go there. And he said he really struggled to have any kind of breakthrough until one day he just prayed. He just asked, he asked the Spirit to help him. And he said, God... I pray, this was actually his prayer, I pray that you would make me as addicted to reading your word as I am to looking at porn. And he said, that was a dangerous prayer to pray because the Lord answered it. And now, I, you know, he says, like, if I go for more than three days without reading the Bible, I get the shakes. Um, and it's like, again, it's not that he didn't do the practical stuff, but the Spirit, when he turned to him, he said, the Spirit, I'm going to partner with you in this. We're going to beat this together, you're not on your own. Um, <laughs> Have you ever tried? I mean, life is just complicated. So how do I be a boss today? What does that look like? What does disciplining my colleague look like when I know I need to do that, but it's just messy and it's complicated? How do I raise my kids? I've got a friend that's struggling with severe depression. I don't know how to help them. I've got a child that I worry about day in and day out. I don't know what to do for them. It's, it's complicated and it's hard and we need wisdom and we need guidance and we don't have to do it alone because the spirit of the living God lives inside of us and he's called the spirit of wisdom and revelation. 
He's called the spirit of truth. He's the counselor who shows us the way, who guides our feet on the path. And when we say, Lord, can I do it with you? He says, of course, you were always going to, that was always how it was going to work. You're not on your own. I don't know if you ever find it, but I do sometimes, particularly the last couple of years, the world is just overwhelming what's going on. And it creates in many of us, certainly in me, a sense of fear and a sense of insecurity. I don't know how to do this. How can I, how can I survive? How can I survive, let alone the people that I'm caring for? How do I raise, you know, like it, it, it's so hard not to give in to fear at times. And, and what can happen is if we're not careful, as we become more aware of the, 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 the insecurities in our world, our fears can increase, but our understanding of God stays the same. And then there's a gap that begins to grow between the fear where we're really like, oh my word, the world really is a mess, and just our understanding of God that's static, and, and that can't be allowed to happen. The more we see the fear, the more we should turn to him and see his grace and see his faithfulness and his kindness, that he's the spirit of peace who gives a peace that passes all understanding. We were never meant to do it alone, and we don't have to. He gives us the spirit. And what he says to the disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is, the Spirit's going to come and he's going he's to help you be witnesses to me. And he does. Um, there's a friend of mine, the guy that led me to Jesus, is called Paddy. We've been friends since we were 11 years old. And um, a little while ago, Paddy had someone in his extended family who um, had a severe mental breakdown. And they ended up in a hospital. They had to be kind of restricted and placed in a hospital. And Paddy went to see them. Uh, he and his wife went to visit them. And when they, when they walked into the room, this is the, the lady who was ill. She, this is her words later on. When Paddy walked into the room, she didn't see Paddy. She had a vision of Jesus in that moment. She just saw Jesus. And um, from that point on, she began to recover. She got better, and after a few months, she was discharged. She went into that hospital as an atheist. She came out as a Christian. And the reason for that is because Paddy went in, but it wasn't just Paddy. It was Paddy going in with the Spirit of God inside of him. And at the moment, the Holy Spirit chose to reveal Jesus to that lady. And that's how it worked. Um, we, uh, Chris and Susie, Gregory, who are part of our church, they were at the 915 service. They were telling us last week about how they went on a cruise. And they uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago, they were on a holiday on this cruise ship with about 4,000 people. And they said they ended up eating dinner and just really randomly sitting next to the same couple twice of all the 4,000 people on the ship um, in different part of the restaurant, the same couple twice. And they just felt like, is this, are you saying something, Lord? Do you want to do something here? And so they prayed about it. And they felt like the Lord said, yeah, I do want to do something. Not right now, but, you know, before the end of the, the trip, so keep your eyes out. Well, on the final night of this cruise, they end up, again, randomly sitting next to this couple. And they noticed that this lady's, her hands were like all bent together like this, one of her hands. And they asked her about it. She'd had an operation, and it had gone wrong, and her hand had not recovered, and she wasn't able to straighten her fingers, and she was in pain. She'd been sleeping really badly because of the pain. And Chris just said, hey, we're, we're Christians. Would you mind if we prayed for you? And so they prayed. And I love it, because then they were like, and then we had to get to a show, so we didn't stick around to find out if she was healed or not. So they, they left. <clears throat> but then the next morning, over breakfast, they found this lady, <clears throat> and this lady was healed. Her hand had, had miraculously been healed overnight. Her fingers were straight. She slept really well because there was no pain. And uh, it was amazing. I was uh, 
talking to Joy, who's over here, and she was telling me a bit about how she came to know Jesus. She'd become a Christian in the last uh, year and a half throughout lockdown. And she was saying she was at a really low point in her life and uh, just not going to church or anything like that, just in a really bad space. And uh, something went wrong in her flat, which was, which was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back. And then a member of our church, a guy called Stuart, who was at the 915 service, he had a flat next door, and he just went around to fix something. And he had, randomly got chatting to Joy. And uh, Joy just mentioned that life was really hard. And Chris just, uh, Stuart just said to her, have you tried watching the live stream? You know, and gave her the YouTube thing. and said, why don't you watch the live stream? Well, Joy started to watch the live stream. And over the course of that, um, became a Christian. She turned up at the first Sunday we opened up after lockdown. Two weeks ago, you were confirmed. And uh, Joy's now part of our family. Why don't you just stand up, Joy, for a second and just give us a wave. I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to embarrass you. So we just... Now, with all of those things, was that Paddy going into the hospital? Was that the Holy Spirit? Was that, was that Chris and Susie praying for that lady on the cruise ship? Or was that the Holy Spirit? Was that Stuart talking to Joy? Or was that, was that the Holy Spirit? Of course, it was both. The Spirit partners with us and he helps us in our weakness to witness. And it's hard. And it's scary. And I look around at the world and I think, oh my word, we've got a job on. Like, what's happening in the West? Where we're going, uh, you know, the divisiveness, the vitriol, the hatred. It, it, it's scary the way that people rejected the fact that, that people used to have in our country some kind of a basis for Christian understanding, and now they're way back. They don't have a clue. I look at people in my own life who I long to come to know Jesus, and then I look in the mirror and I think, this is never going to do the job. Like, this is, how, how's this ever going to happen? I can't see it. And when, when we look at that, the fear sets in, and it feels scary, and it feels overwhelming, but then we come back to his words, which are, you can't do it by yourself, and it's okay, because that was never going to be the plan. You don't have to, because the Spirit of God lives inside of us, and what's impossible for us is possible for him. We're partners with him, and, and, and my longing has always been, as I'm sure it has been for many of you, to be part of a church where the Spirit is at work among us and through us all the time. I remember coming across this challenge years ago that said, if you read the book of Acts, which is really the story of the Holy Spirit, it says, if you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the book of Acts, 95% of what they were doing would stop and everybody would notice and then the person went on to say, if you took the Holy Spirit out of the modern church, 95% of what we're doing would carry on and nobody would notice. That's a good challenge to be reminded of. And for me, who always wants to try and control everything, and the Spirit will not be controlled, it's, it's, it's learning again that He does what only He can do. And that's where the miracles happen. That's where the breakthroughs come, because of him. Just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was reminded of this so strongly at Naturally Supernatural when we had the conference here, and there have been so many stories that have, have come out of that. I just want to read you a couple, just, just to, I suppose, just to demonstrate what the Spirit does when, when he moves. So this is from a lady. I changed, I changed the names of the people involved, but this lady says, she wrote this in as a testimony. My five-year-old grandson died from leukemia almost four years ago. It has undoubtedly been the hardest thing I've ever had to bear. 
when he was first diagnosed during a ministry time, and uh, during a ministry time, I had a clear picture of him as a young 20-something, tall, handsome, speaking to others about our Lord. Many trusted folks also shared that they had words that he would be healed. I held on to those words tightly, but sadly, we lost him. I have no doubt he's in heaven having a ball. He loved the Lord and had wisdom far above his years. However, somehow I've held on to this little seed of disappointment and bitterness towards the Lord. It may seem natural to do this in terms of a reaction to my grief, but I knew in my heart it was holding me back from asking the Lord for anything. My trust and my faith had been rocked. Anyway, back to Friday, this is at NSN. I stood among the ministry and I just said, Lord, forgive me for holding on to this. As if there was someone standing right next to me whispering in my ear, I heard a voice say, Lucy, give it to me. I really thought there was someone standing nearby asking me for something. I opened my eyes and there was no one there. I closed my eyes and I simply said, here is my disappointment and bitterness, please take it. Wow. I felt a shock go through my whole being and a lightness in my spirit. I know for sure that in that quiet moment, in that split second, it had gone. So simple, yet so supernatural. And then uh, there's another one. I'll, I'll summarize some of this. <clears throat> but this person wrote and just said, thank you so much for everyone that was involved in volunteering and putting on Naturally Supernatural. And they said this, and it's, it's full on, but I, I need to read it to me. The person says, for me, being at the conference was very important. At Christmas, I decided to kill myself. I know that sounds like I must have been in mental turmoil, but at the time, I felt very clear-headed. I had got to the point of hopelessness, and like Solomon, had come to the conclusion that all is meaningless. I've had a lifetime of pain and traumatic events, and although I've had counseling and I feel like I have processed and dealt with the pain, I'd lost all hope in the future and lost faith in the goodness of God. I didn't feel depressed or despairing. I just didn't want to experience any more life if it contained as much pain as it had, it had been having. At the beginning of the new year, I decided I had nothing to lose anyway. I would give God one year, and then this time next year, I would end my life if I still felt the same. And they turned up at Naturally Supernatural, and um, in the very first sort of session, they came forward and they were prayed for, and God just met them. And in their words, they said, I was hit with a very real sense of the goodness of God. He didn't meet me with his power, but with his goodness. I continued feeling his nearness throughout the conference, and some people who were volunteering just to pray for others and have words for them just gave this person some incredibly accurate words. That, one word that was about a picture from a book that they'd been reading to their daughter the day before. And, and they said at the end, uh, it was like the whole week was a love letter from God to them to show them that he cares about the most intimate details of my life. I'm sure everyone attended appreciated it, but for me, it was a life saver. I will still be here this time next year because of it. Please let everyone who helped know that their sacrifice has changed my life and the future for my family. Isn't that amazing? And, and it's like, who did that? Was that all the volunteers who put on a conference? Or was that the Holy Spirit? Yes. He, we do our little bit. And then astonishingly and magnificently, he partners with us. And so for me, what I've been remembering as I, as I come into land, this Pentecost, is there's a fear in many of us that we somehow, it's all on us. Somehow we've got to negotiate how to raise the kids. Or, or somehow we've got to, you know, 
overcome our grief by ourselves. Somehow we've got to work out the finances at a time when the inflation's going through the roof and, and the cost of living's crazy. And, you know, somehow it, it's all on us. Somehow the pressure to lead those people we love to Jesus, it's all resting on us. And the, the message of Jesus Christ to us is so much better than that. It's like, I have done it on the cross, and now my spirit, the living God, is going to live inside of you, and we will do the rest together. And what we do is we partner in the same way that I partner with one of my boys when we're cooking, which is, basically, I do it all, and occasionally they get the spoon and they get to have a little lick. That's kind of how it works. It's like, we bring the little bit that we have, and then we enjoy the process because we know that we're doing it with him, and he's on our side. We never, ever, ever have to do this alone. You might be afraid. I am at times. But let's remember the truth. The promise giver says, I will give you my spirit. He kept that promise 2,000 years ago. He keeps it today as well.